Uh, Lord God, these are, these are huge issues that we're dealing with. Uh, please help me speak with real clarity and truthfulness. And please help us to hear clearly and to think deeply and to be really helped to understand Jesus better. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you looked at the topic, uh, what did you reckon? Um, does Jesus come to bring unity or divisions? When you think of Jesus, do you think of him as a peacemaker or a troublemaker? You might think peacemaker. You know, he, he was called the Prince of Peace, uh, wasn't he? Or you might think, no, 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 troublemaker. They put him to death after all. They wouldn't have done that unless he was causing some sort of divisions and troubles. Now, I think we care about this topic a lot because as a society, we value greatly unity. We love it when there's unity. We hate it when there's division and breakdown of unity. You know, think about your family Christmas gatherings. Did you enjoy them? I reckon how much you enjoyed your family Christmas gatherings this year depended on how much unity there is in your family. See, if your family is pretty united, they like each other, they like being with each other, they like getting together, then your family Christmas gathering was probably a pretty good time. But... If your family is divided and certain members have issues with other members and they won't talk to them and they won't be in the same room as them and then your family Christmas gathering was probably a fairly unpleasant time. You endured it rather than enjoyed it. But that's painful, isn't it? That's painful when families are divided against each other, when there's division in our communities, when there's division in the political system, left and right against each other or race and race against each other, or gender versus gender, when there's divisions between countries, wars, the Ukraine, it, it, it causes us pain even to think about it. Relational tension, cultural tension, Australia to China, we wish it wasn't so. Can't we just all get along? Can't there just be harmony? Well, obviously we can't, can we? You just have to look at our world and it's abundantly clear that we are not living in love and peace and unending harmony. We seem to divide over anything and everything. Any distinction, any difference, we divide. There's a group, it disagrees, it divides. Then this group disagrees within itself and divides. Then this group and so forth. We break down into smaller and smaller and smaller groupings. The world is obviously filled with divisions. Now the Bible very clearly, clearly explains them. It says there's actually something profoundly wrong and flawed in humanity, which means there has always been, there has always been, and there will always be divisions amongst humans. We love the thought of real, extensive unity, and we wish there were no divisions. And so Jesus, does Jesus cause or add to the divisions, or does he bring unity, repairing division? Well, someone say, it's clear, it's obvious, Jesus brings division. Look at Christians dividing against other religions. We're right, you're wrong. And Christians, they even divide amongst themselves. Look at all the denominations around there. Protestant versus Catholic split. Christians dividing society by believing outdated, terrible things, particularly on moral and ethical issues. Arguments, political divisions, tensions. See, Jesus clearly brings divisions. Now... Just a point to give us some sharpness and nuance to our thinking right here. It's worth noting the difference between what people have done in the name of Jesus and what Jesus himself has caused and wants people to do. See, it's possible to look at every person who says they're a follower of Jesus or every country that calls itself Christian and equate everything they do with Jesus. So... A person who calls himself a follower of Jesus, standing in a picket line, screaming abuse at people with a sign that says, you are going to hell. 
Jesus never condones that sort of behavior. You know, last week we saw that Jesus is a man of peace, a man of love, who calls Christians to love those who mistreat them, to pray for those who persecute them. It's possible to look at a country and see it as a Christian country and equate all that country does, imperialism, slavery, war, with Jesus. But just because a country emerges from a Christian history, has broadly Christian values, is a Christianized country, it doesn't make everyone in that country a follower of Jesus, nor does it make the leadership of that country followers of Jesus. Christianized countries can and have done terrible things that have brought massive disunity in our world. But they are not Jesus. And usually they're not led by real followers of Jesus. So it's helpful to nuance our thinking about these things. Not simply equate everything done in the name of Jesus with Jesus himself causing it. Because people have done horrendous things and caused disunity in the name of Jesus. Jesus doesn't want it. He doesn't condone it. He will ultimately bring justice around all these issues. And there are times where people, Christians, have been totally consistent with Jesus and the things they say upset others because it's actually the words of Jesus themselves that upset them. But we'll come back to that. So today, what we want to do, we want to go straight to the New Testament documents to look at the earliest eyewitness accounts of what Jesus actually says and the close accounts of his followers, the words of them about him, what he actually taught and caused. Whether Jesus himself caused unity or division. So... Has Jesus caused unity or division? Well, my answer is going to be, he's caused the most profound unity, he's ended the most terrible division, and he's caused the necessary division. Ah, come on, Graham, you're trying to have it both ways. You're saying unity and division. Yes, yes I am. But there's a few key pieces here that you want to draw together, lock together, to get a complete and accurate picture. We don't want to be simplistic in our thinking about these big issues. As a church, we want to follow the truth wherever it leads. We want to be deep thinkers, not surface thinkers. So a little bit of complexity in my answer. Jesus has caused unity, has ended division, but does bring a necessary division. But what we're talking about here is complex but not confused. There's clarity to be had in these issues. So... Has Jesus caused unity or division? Number one, Jesus has caused the most profound unity. The very reason Jesus came to this earth was to unite people to himself and to God his Father. It's an incredible, profound thing that Jesus has come to do to reconnect us back to the God who made us, who has given us all we have, who loves us. Togetherness. Oneness, belonging, connection to the God of the universe. Sometimes it's wonderfully spoken about in the Bible as adoption. To be adopted into the family of God. We've, we've got lots of families in our church who foster kids and who have adopted kids. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. To be adopted to belong to a family. To parents who love you deeply. Look at the passage on the screen. The one that was read for us. Galatians 4. But when the set time had fully come... God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God has sent his, the spirit of his son into your hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. God sent his son into the world at the right time to be born as a man. God the son, born as a man, Jesus. So now there is the possibility of becoming, verse 5, 
children of God, adopted into his family, so that, verse 6, we can cry, Abba, Father. The intimate cry of a child to a parent that we can use for the God of the universe. We can have an intimate relationship, a a father-daughter, a father-son relationship with the eternal God. And that means, verse 7, those who are God's children are also heirs. The inheritance that we will receive is eternal glory. Heaven becomes their home. Jesus brought the possibility of profound unity with God where he adopts us into his family as his children and what closer, more united relationship is there than a parent to a child. A unity where we're loved by God, protected by God, cared for by God. God is with us and for us through all the circumstances of life An intimate connection to the God who has made everything. And adoption creates a family of those who are adopted. To become adopted not only means that God becomes my father, but every Christian who is also adopted into the family becomes my brother and sister too. Consistently throughout the New Testament, the church is called things like the family of believers, the family of God, and Christians are addressed as brothers and sisters. And so being adopted by God means he is my father, Jesus is my big brother, and every Christian is my brother or sister too. And now heaven is my home. That's what the church is meant to be. Togetherness, oneness, belonging, connection to the God of the universe and with each other. This is why Jesus came into the world, to unite all kinds of people to himself. When I was in year eight, uh, we had a science teacher who we, um, we call him G.I. Joe. So I'll call him G.I. Joe. Whenever G.I. Joe explained the, the science experiment that we were about to do, He'd tell you explicitly what not to do. Because if you did that, something really, really bad would go on. Now, he's explained this to year eight kids, boys in particular. Whatever you do, whatever you do, don't take this wire and connect it here to the AC, DC volt machine. Don't click the settings here, because if you do, the whole thing will will go off in a puff of smoke. Ah, I never thought of connecting this wire to there and flicking that switch to there. But now that you mention it, puffs of smoke all around the room. Whatever you do, don't drop the magnet into the jar of iron filings. If you drop the magnet into the jar of iron filings, it gets covered in them. It's so hard to get them off. I'm going to spend every afternoon. Now that you've said it, (laughs) half the class, the male half, hands back their magnets covered in iron filings. Jesus is like a magnet dropped into a jar of iron filings. He comes into the world and the iron filings are the people of the world and many people see him for who he is and cling to him, get stuck to him, adopted into the family of God. And not just one filing stuck to him, but a whole bunch of filings stuck to him, stuck to each other, connected. That's what God is doing in Jesus reconnecting the people of the world who will come to him, back to him, back to each other, uniting us as family, brothers and sisters together under our Father. And it's people from every sort of background. Look at this passage from Galatians, the same book of the Bible that we've just been looking at. So in Christ Jesus, you who are God's children of God through faith, for all of you who are baptised into Christ have closed yourself with Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, Nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. For those who put their faith in Jesus, and faith just means trust. For those who put their trust in Jesus, 
There is no longer division along lines of ethnicity or race or social status or socioeconomic status or gender or there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The writer, the Apostle Paul, picks a few of the greatest divisions in the ancient world and starts with the greatest. He handlines it with Jew and Gentile, that is Jew and non-Jew. No greater division in the ancient world. Religious division, racial division, cultural division, and often a real hatred between Jew and Gentile. So much so that in the ancient world, in the ancient Jewish literature, they would often describe or call the Gentiles dogs. And when they say dogs, they don't mean my fluffy little caboodle that sits on the lounge next to me. They, they mean street dogs. Ugly, angry, dirty, mangy street dogs. You don't get more divided than Jew and Gentile. But when a Jew and a Gentile comes to trust in Jesus, they become one family, brother and sister. Slave, free, this is not talking about just a division between the upper class and a lower class, significant as that division is, but the division between owned and not owned. In the Greco-Roman world, they owned slaves, some of who were treated well, most of who were treated fairly poorly, but they were all considered property. And now the slave and the free person becomes a Christian. They sit in church together as brothers and sisters and care for one another as family. They are united as one in Christ. Jesus has caused there to be a profound unity between people from different backgrounds, from all the nations of the earth, from all cultures, of all skin colours, men and women, slave and free, upper class, lower class, united to God by Jesus. When we come to God... He adopts us into his family and unites us together as family. And so those distinctions that usually divide us, male, female, this culture, that culture, this country, that country, rich, poor, left, right, those distinctions, while they still exist, become so minimal because they are bound together by God as being his children. Jesus causes a deep and profound unity. Now, our world wants this sort of unity, cries out for it, seeks it, but the way it seeks it, I think, just divides us further and further and further. But Jesus is the great answer to real and lasting unity. Now, okay, Christians have to work at this. Christians often make a mess of this. Christians will hurt other Christians because Christians, like me, like you, are imperfect people. But Jesus is helping them change, and this is what he's building, a family who loves, cares, is united together. It's profound, it's beautiful, and it's for all eternity. Look at this passage from Revelation. And as Jez said last week, as we read the Bible, we want to read the Bible in its context, because otherwise you get it wrong. And the context of a passage like this is, it's apocalyptic language, they call it, which is picture language, metaphor. And so we're not really going to be wearing white robes and holding palm branches in heaven. It's, it's imagery to try to teach us something about heaven. But here's, a, here's teaching about heaven. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This symbolic picture of heaven shows us that in heaven there will be a great multitude of people and those people will be from every nation, tribe, people and language and they'll be standing before the throne of God and Jesus, Jesus is the lamb, 
in the book of Revelation who are ruling. You might have thought Christianity is a white European thing. It's not. It actually originally comes out of the Middle East, Palestine, a Jewish man. And yes, it quickly makes its way around the Mediterranean to Europe, but it's spread all over the world. And actually, there are far more Christians in South America, Africa, China than there are in Australia or Europe. In heaven, there will be people from every nation, all united around God, their Father, and united together as family for all eternity. Has Jesus caused unity or division? One, Jesus caused the most profound unity. Two, has Jesus caused unity or division? Jesus has ended the most terrible division. This is directly connected to what we've just been thinking about. See, how is it that people can be united to God? Well, we've said it's through Jesus, but there's something I haven't mentioned yet. And this thing that I'm going to mention is fundamental, is core to what the Bible teaches, to what Jesus teaches but is so deeply foreign and shocking to most people that it's hard to grasp sometimes the first time, and it's this. On our own, we are dreadfully divided from God. There's a terrible division between every human being and God. Now, in my experience, this is one of the things that Jesus teaches that comes as an utter shock to most people. You might find yourself sitting there shocked right now, but look at this, Colossians. Once you are alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. He says once because he's talking to Christians, but he says, according to Jesus, before the coming of Jesus, um, this is the state of all humanity, alienated, estranged, divided from God. In fact, enemies from God in our minds because of our evil behaviour. In our hearts, in our minds, we don't want the Creator to rule us. We want to rule ourselves. We don't want to live His way. We want to rule our way. And so have alienated ourselves from God by treating Him as if He was our enemy. And you think, oh, yeah, I I may not have thought much about God. I may not have prayed much. Yeah, I haven't been to church that often. I know I do some things that aren't quite right and I don't think God would... Like, I, I know I haven't loved people the way and helped people the way I should, and I, but I haven't killed anyone, yeah? I haven't done anything really terribly bad, and I'm pretty sure that God would be okay with me and I'm okay with Him. Now, that's exactly how I thought before I became a Christian. It took me quite a while to realize I was actually living a, a life totally independent from God, not caring that He created me, given me life, given me my family, given me health, given me everything I had, living however I pleased, ruling my own life. I just basically ignored him and done my own thing. He should have been the ruler. And yet I treated myself as I was the ruler and he was actually nothing much at all to me. Imagine this. You have a friend who has a son. The son can't seem to get enough money together ever to buy himself a car. And so it's difficult for him to get around. The father can't help him out. But you say, I can help. And so in your real generosity, you lend him a car. A nice car, actually. You say to him, mate, it's an indefinite loan. Take it as long as you need it. I'll pay the rego, I'll I'll pay the insurance, I'll pay for any servicing and stuff that needs to go on, I'll pay the petrol. Here's a petrol card. Wow, that's super generous. Feel free to use the car indefinitely. The young bloke takes the car and he never says thanks. And then he takes the car and he treats it like it's his. 
He drives it hard because he knows he's not footing the bill for any wear and tear on that car. You are. He leaves rubbish all over the four flute scraps area. There's little bits of KFC gnawed bones sitting on the seat. The grease is sort of seeping through into the seat. He never vacuums it. He never washes it. He never cleans it. He never looks after it. There's dents. There's scrapes on the side. And then one day... You ring him because you need to get somewhere urgently and your car is out of action for a while. And so you ring him and say, oh, I really need to get to this place. And he says, oh, sorry, mate. Surf's really good. I've got to go. Hangs up on you. Another time you really need to get somewhere and so you ring him, doesn't answer the call. You text him, doesn't text back. And that's just generally how it goes from there. He doesn't talk to you. He never gives you thanks. He just lives as if you don't exist. Now, isn't that the way we've treated God, but on a much, much larger scale? We've received from God our life and this beautiful world and the things we enjoy and the relationships we love and all that we have, and yet treated life as if it's ours and God has no place in it. And I can use my, and abuse my life and all the things I have however I want as though I'm actually the owner and he's not, as though he hasn't been generous to me. And when I know there's things he wants me to do, I make excuses and just do the things that I want to do instead. And most often, we just ignore him and treat him as if he didn't exist. And this is our creator, the ruler, the giver of every good thing we have. We're enemies in our minds because of our evil behavior and so alienated from God, divided from God. The most terrible division there is to be separated from God. And if it continues left unchecked, As we enter into eternity, it will be to be cut off from God and everything good forever. But Jesus came to end this most terrible division. Verse 22. But now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Jesus came to reconcile us back to God to fix our estranged and broken relationship, to to mend and remove the division so that we could be God's children and family together. There was a great chasm, think Grand Canyon, that separated us from God. God on one side, us on the other side, an impassable, uncrossable canyon. And yet Jesus came to throw a bridge across that chasm so we could be reconnected and reconciled to God again. And the bridge that he threw across the chasm is in the shape of a cross. Verse 22. But now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. God the Son came and died on a cross, taking the punishment that I, that you, that we deserve for rejecting God's rule and living our own way. A lack of love, a mistreatment of others. Jesus died taking the punishment we deserve for that so that we can be forgiven, cleansed, without blemish, free from accusation and brought back into a relationship with God. God in his love has sent his son to take the rap for me so that we can be cleansed and now God's children. The cross is the bridge thrown across the terrible chasm, the terrible divide, so we can now be reconciled back to God, adopted into his family and brothers and sisters with each other. Has Jesus caused unity or division? One, Jesus caused the most profound unity. Two, Jesus ended the most terrible division. But three, third and finally, Jesus has caused the necessary division. 
The words I'm just about to throw up on the screen, I think most people will find deeply, deeply shocking. So let's have a look at them together. Jesus said, Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Just take that first statement for a moment before we come to the rest. Jesus, you know, could Jesus answer our question today any more clearly? Does Jesus bring unity or division? Do you think I came to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but division. Now, in what sense does Jesus come to bring division? Because we saw last week that Jesus actually has come to bring peace. And we've seen already today that Jesus has come to bring unity. So in what sense has he come to bring division? The division that Jesus brings is the division that occurs around how people choose to respond to him. The person of Jesus divides the whole of humanity in that every person will have to decide, what will I do with Jesus? Now this makes no sense if you think Jesus is just a good moral teacher, a spiritual guru, uh, an enlightened person, a social activist, uh, but it makes perfect sense if you understand who Jesus actually claimed to be, who Jesus actually was. Jesus very, very clearly claims that he is the Lord of the world, the ruler of the universe, God, God the Son, come as a man. And Jesus claims that what you do with him is what you do with God. How you treat Jesus is how you treat God. If you see Jesus like this, the division he causes makes perfect sense. God has come to his world. What will you do with him? Either choose to accept him and his rule and be reconciled back to God, or choose to again turn your back to God reject his rule and refuse the reconciliation he brings. Jesus brings division because he is God come amongst us. And so people choose either to be for him or against him. No middle ground, no sitting on the fence. People choose either to come back and unite with God or remain divided against God. No other paths, only two groups. He's like a laser cutting through all of humanity, dividing all of humanity in two, either uniting under the rule of Jesus in the family of God or dividing from Jesus, rejecting his rule. And his laser cuts through nations, cuts through communities, cuts through political groupings, cultural groupings, cuts through your social clubs and social groupings and slices through the very closest of human relationships, that is, families. From now on, verse 52, there'll be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, two against three, and so forth. Don't say anything negative about families, Graham. You're on very, very dangerous ground now. Families are sacrosanct in our society. Don't say anything that threatens the family as the number one priority. But Jesus does. Within families, there will be those who choose to follow Jesus and have him as their Lord and be reconciled to God and those who refuse. Now, this holds great pain for a number of you, I know, but it is the nature of things. God has made us responsible individuals, humans, who make real choices, real decisions, and for each human, we have a choice to make, and that choice is, what will I do with Jesus? Because what you do with him is what you do with God, and no person is exempt from that decision. Now, When it talks about divisions in families, it's not talking about Christians being an utter pain in the neck in their families. 
don't. <laughs> it's not talking about Christians intentionally breaking their families apart. That's terrible. It's not talking about Christians alienating, cutting themselves off from their families. No, Jesus doesn't want that. It's not talking about Christians being self-righteous and looking down on their families and treating down their No, it's talking about allegiance. Where does a person's primary allegiance lie? Is it with Jesus or is it with themselves and theirs? You can still, as a Christian, have a loyalty and a love to your family, but your primary loyalty and love shifts to Jesus. And as families are confronted with the person of Jesus, sometimes the whole family bows the knee to Jesus. But sometimes only some members do, and some members won't have Jesus as their king. And so you get a division in the family, which can but doesn't always cause friction. Now this is huge, isn't it? Jesus reaches into the very heart of our home, into the very heart of our lives, into our very hearts, and says to you, what will you do with me? Will you have me as your Lord, Or will you reject me as your Lord? Now you might be sitting there thinking, this is terrible. That Jesus came to divide people. Unity is good, division is terrible. But can I suggest something to you? Unity in the right things is good. And division for no good reason is terrible. But unity in certain things is very bad. And division over certain things is very good. Did you catch that? While unity, togetherness, belonging, oneness, connection is often very good, I reckon there are things that to be united with those things or with those people is very, very bad. So, to have unity with the members of a criminal bikey gang that's involved in human trafficking, exploitation of women, uh, drug dealing, organised crime, is very bad. Now, there might be a real unity amongst them, a brotherhood, a oneness, a connection, a belonging that they've experienced nowhere else. But to connect to that group, to be united with that, that is not good unity. That's to unite with evil. And while division for no good reason is terrible, division over certain things is a good thing. Uh, in Germany during the reign of Hitler, now it's, it's topical in our news at the moment, isn't it, with our, with our Premier. In Germany during the reign of Hitler, most people could not see... Hitler and the Nazi regime for what it was, Christians included. But someone who did see Hitler for what he was very early on was a German pastor by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He consistently, right from the beginning to right from the end, opposed Hitler, opposed Hitler's nationalism, opposed Hitler's uh, neutering of the church, opposed Hitler's dictatorial powers, opposed the mistreatment and eventual extermination of Jews, gypsies, the disabled. Bonhoeffer stood against, divided against Hitler and the Nazi regime, which um, increasingly meant he actually stood against a largely united Germany under Hitler's rule. Bonhoeffer was divisive. He wouldn't unite. He stood apart, he spoke against Hitler and the regime and increasingly found himself more and more isolated and alone and eventually imprisoned in a concentration camp as a traitor and ultimately executed because he would not unite but continued to divide. Now you could look at Bonhoeffer and say, Bonhoeffer, you were so divisive. You could have been so much more united with the rest of Germany under Hitler's Third Reich. Or you could see what it actually was. This man was a hero who would not unite, but stood against, divided against what was evil. A wicked regime that, among other things, murdered six million Jews and caused World War II. His division was a good division, a right division. 
Unity is a very good thing, but only if we are united around what is true and what is good. Division can be a very good thing if it's dividing against what is untrue and what is evil. Well, Jesus is the God of perfect goodness and truth come amongst us in order to, to die in love, to reconcile us back to God. And so to unite with him is what unity is meant to be. And to divide from a world that largely opposes or ignores him is a very good thing to do. Jesus came to bring a necessary division, a division around how you will treat God come amongst us. And so when Jesus walked on the earth, he said some things that totally cut across the grain of his society and totally cut across the grain of our society. Radically countercultural things, things that clash, that rub, that clang with the way our world thinks. And so some of Jesus' words, our, our, our world finds divisive, finds actually offensive. The religious leaders of his day were outraged at some of the things that he said and so eventually had him put to death. And so too today, many are outraged about the things that Jesus says in the Bible and the things that Christians consistently and rightly say that Jesus says. But it's because Jesus comes not as the unity pretender, but as the unity bringer. Not one who comes and pretends there's unity when there really isn't. Yeah, it's, it's all okay. We're all okay with God. We're all okay with each other. There's, no, no, no. But one who unearths the disunity so they can bring true and lasting unity. When I was uh, seven years old, my family put in an in-ground pool. Now, that is a very, very, very long time ago. And the pool is in pretty good nick for being put in that long ago. But there's some cracks in the pool. Over time, it's worn, it's cracked, and actually some of the Rio's exposed and it's rusting down into the pool and the, the, the pool is actually uh, leaking a bit. So the unity of the pool surface has been compromised. There's cracks, there's divisions. What should my family do? I know, drain it a bit, get the spray can out, spray paint over the top so it, you know, it just looks nice, the colour matches, and, and, and it'll look like there's unity. It'll look like it's intact. Now, that would be to pretend that there's a unity to the surface of the pool. Or we could drain the pool, we could get right into it, cut it all out, grind it all back, fix up the Rio, put in more concrete, resurface it. Now, it's sounding expensive at this point, isn't it? Resurface the pool so that we bring true unity to the surface of the pool. True, no divisions, no compromise, no cracks. What has Jesus come to do? Did he come into the world to just spray over it? Pretend it's all okay? Surface unity? It's all... No, no. He came to unearth the cause of our disunity and to actually fix it and bring real unity. The experience of dealing with someone who's a unity pretender, you know, they don't rock the boat. They don't say divisive things. They just spray over the top. It's pleasant. There's no conflict. There's no division. But the experience of dealing with Jesus, the unity bringer, the one who brings real unity by unearthing the disunity that humans have with God and with each other, is regularly not pleasant. Jesus rocks the boat. The things he says stir the pot. They clash with what our society thinks. But this is necessary because the things that Jesus comes to say and do are true and they are good. And he himself is God come amongst us to bring us back to God in love. Will we receive him and let him rule over our lives or will we not? Did Jesus come to bring unity to vision? 
Jesus came to bring profound unity, to unite people back to God where he becomes our father, adopted into his family, and we become brothers or sisters, united together, and we will be perfectly in heaven for all eternity. And he did it by ending the most terrible division, by reconciling us back to God, by dying in our place, taking the punishment we deserve. But in doing so, Jesus also brought a necessary division. God, God the Son, has come amongst us as a man and how we treat him is how we treat God. Some will receive him as their Lord, some will reject him. Some will be reconciled back to God, some won't want that. Jesus rightly divides all humanity around himself. In a moment I'm going to pray. But before we pray, as the band comes up, we have a short moment to just think privately. Uh, Why don't you take this moment to think about this? How am I responding to Jesus? And... How would I like to respond to Jesus? So just a bit of quiet and then I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, thank you, thank you so much for the profound unity that you've brought about through your son Jesus. We thank you that uh, you adopt us as your children so you can be our father and every Christian, our brother, our sister, and that heaven becomes our home for all eternity. Uh, We thank you for Jesus that he has ended division between you and us, reconciling us back to you by dying in our place, taking the punishment we deserve. Please, Lord, enable us to see Jesus clearly for who he is and to respond to him rightly, to receive him as our Lord and Saviour, and we ask it in his name. Amen.